Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have joined forces to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by Lilly Oncology and Onyx Pharmaceuticals, we are talking about colorectal cancer. In 2014, about 136,830 people were diagnosed with colorectal cancer in the United States. Uh, Colorectal cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer and third leading cause of cancer-related deaths. March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we've invited my friend and colleague, Michael Sapienza, from the organization Chris for Life to join us today. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Kim. Here. Um, Michael, you are the founder and president of Chris for Life, an organization focused on uh, colorectal cancer. Uh, Chris for Life works to fight colorectal cancer by providing direct support resources to those diagnosed with cancer, um, facilitating research, and also uh, increasing awareness. And we're going to dive in with Michael a little bit on his work uh, and on the organization. We've got a lot to cover, so, um, uh, so let's get started. Michael, uh, why don't you start by telling us your personal story? Tell us your uh, connection to cancer and, and uh, to colorectal cancer specifically. Absolutely, Kim. So for me, it started, uh, I was a professional musician. I played the, the trumpet actually all over the world, in the United States and, and throughout Europe. And excuse me, in 2006, I was actually living in Miami Beach, Florida, performing with the New World Symphony, um, who was actually conducted by a gentleman named Michael Tilson Thomas, who also conducts the San Francisco Symphony. And I remember that day like it was it was yesterday, basically. It was a Friday afternoon. We were performing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and I think it was Yo-Yo Ma that was performing. I can't remember exactly, but somebody. And um, I was playing principal on both of these pieces, so it was you know a little bit of a challenging evening. And I remember the next morning, my parents calling, and my mom, the first thing she said, she says, Michael, we have a bump in the road. Mm. And and I, I knew immediately, I could tell by the sound of her voice that something was going on. And she says, you know, um, I went in yesterday for a colonoscopy, and they found a large tumor, and they think it's uh, late-stage colon cancer. Mm. Um, and she said, she said again, Michael, this is just a bump in the road. Don't worry. Don't worry, Michael. It's just a bump in the road. Uh, road. But, you know, <laughs> to make a long story short, you know, unfortunately, my, my mom passed on Mother's Day. Um mm. In 2009, it was May um, in two, uh, 2009, and she was treated here in Washington, D.C. with Jack, Dr. John Marshall and got some of the best care and unfortunately, uh, you know, still still passed away from this disease. And our family at the time, this was in 2009, you know, we took a look at it and we said, you know, why is it enough being done for colorectal cancer or colon and rectal cancer? Um you know, why aren't people paying attention? Why isn't this on the radio? Why isn't it on TV? Why, why aren't we seeing 
blue yeah. ribbons, like we see pink ribbons all over the place. Uh, you know, why, why aren't we hearing about this? And my mom was actually, she was fairly upset. She was a quiet, kind of tenacious woman. And, and I remember she was at the, in the hospital during March of 2009 before she died. And, and, and we were having this conversation about, you know, this scope of outrage that we do in D.C. for colon cancer. And on the radio, hearing ads for the Susan G. Komen three-day, you know, which is great. I mean, we don't want to take away from that. It's awesome. But yeah. she was really hoping that we would hear something. And it kind of stuck with me. It really did, Kim. It stuck with me. And I remember maybe a month later, my brother asking me, you know, Michael, what do you really want to do? I was a trumpet player. And, and I said, well, Paul, if I had a million dollars, I would start a colon cancer organization. And we didn't have a million dollars, unfortunately, but uh, we founded the organization in 2010, March of that year, and, and really kind of the rest of history, we're now the second largest colorectal cancer advocacy organization in the, in the country. So let's, um, so Michael, let's uh, talk a little bit about the organization, and I, you know, I appreciate you um, sharing that story. I think it's a really powerful story, and in the time I've known you and the organization, you've done an incredible amount uh, to raise awareness of, uh, of colorectal cancer. So you founded the organization Chris for Life in 2010. So um, t- tell us, you know, how, how did you move from sort of that idea in your head to action? How did you think about um, kind of starting the organization, think about the mission, and, 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 and tell us about the name? Yeah, an interesting interesting thing was we we founded the organization at the beach with family and friends, and it was, you know, I actually invited you know my whole family and a couple of you know key friends to the beach and 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 got real serious about it. I put together a PowerPoint presentation and binders for everybody, and you know I took I took it seriously, so it wasn't just kind of like this. Oh, you know, we're gonna hold one event in memory of my mom and kind of do you know do nothing. I really. And, and actually a couple of friends that are brought in from development and some strategic folks to talk about, you know, how can we really, how can we really make a difference? And so we, we, we studied some of the other organizations that were out there and we decided, okay, here's our three main focuses. We're going to focus on research because colorectal cancer is still vastly underfunded. Um, we're going to focus on patient support. So similar to you guys are augmenting some of the things that you guys do. We're, we're working on patient support and then as well raising awareness. So colorectal cancer is one of those uh, cancers that is almost completely preventable. So if we can, you know, make, make it so uh, people talk about it. So, for example, people, you know, talk save the tatas or talk about breast cancer, but we don't really talk about colon or our butts or our stomach or, you know, most people don't even know where their colons are. So we really decided to focus. Let's focus on these three areas, research, patient support, awareness, and prevention. So, 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 so Chris for Life is the name that you and your family and friends chose to honor your mom's legacy, but also to obviously put this uh, kind of action plan in place by forming the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that, that name was also formed at the beach. Uh, Chris, obviously, is my mom's name. And for life, I think yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. But we did have, you know, a vision statement to become a major catalyst, you know, in the fight against colorectal cancer. And the four words that we used, which we call our values, are compassion, which my mom was incredibly compassion in her entire life, you know, empowerment. I think that's something that it was kind of an overused word, but I still think it's an important word uh, to empower people. Uh, Perseverance. uh, I've never met anybody uh, that has persevered um, 
through as much as my mom did during her lifetime. And it's something that we felt was really important to have as a value in the organization and in life. And once again, I think that's it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. And Michael, I, I just wanted to let folks know who are listening today who are maybe just joining us that it's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, and then four, the number four, and then L-I-F-E, life, if they're uh, uh, taking a moment to look you guys up online, and I'll ask you to share, obviously, some of that contact information throughout the show in terms of how folks can uh, uh, can find you. Now, now, Michael, you talked about um, the focus on sort of three key areas uh, at the organization, research, support, and awareness. And, uh, you know, obviously, those things truly encompass many of the important, you know, aspects of the fight against um, colorectal cancer. Would you just take a moment, um, Michael, to walk us through each of those kind of three uh, core elements of your mission and explain how they work together? We've got the research, the support, and the awareness piece. Yeah, absolutely. So for colorectal cancer, we have about 1.2 million Americans living with the disease today. So it's vitally important that we fund research to help make this a chronic disease for the folks that unfortunately are diagnosed at a later stage and or help them um, if if they are, um, you know, in an early stage. So funding that research is, is incredibly important. And also that goes along with the support. So if we have 1.2 million Americans living with the disease, we obviously need to be able to support them in an X number of ways. So we have something that's called colon town, and we'll probably hopefully talk about it a little bit yeah. later in, yeah. in, the sh- in the show, but it's our, it's our, it's our Support support network basically your support community, uh, and then the awareness and prevention piece. I feel like if we had this struggle when we were starting the organization. Do we talk about the cure, as in you know the research being the cure? Because you know Susan G. Komen, uh, Race for the Cure, have you know kind of gotten this. Um, I don't want to. Uh, how do I how do I say it? Like um, you know brought the cure to people's, you know, forefront, to, to the top of their minds. Um, so it's, do we talk about the cure first or do we talk about awareness? Because for colon cancer, the awareness is so vital. Um, you know, our, our the statistics in this country for people getting getting screened are incredibly low. It's nationally about 55 to 65% of the at-risk population are getting screened, which, you know, unfortunately, if all the people were getting screened, we would we would reduce that. You know, that number you said at the beginning, around 140,000 new cases every year. So, yeah. you know, we, we do a bunch of awareness programs, which I think we're going to talk about later as well. Definitely, yeah. We're going to drill down. Um, I think a, a lot of folks uh, listening to the show or maybe who are just joining us now, um, I, I think we've got a, a, a lot of questions here, Michael, about, where, you know, we're going to get into what are the screening guidelines, you know, when should someone get screened, you know, what are some of the risk factors and things like that. So for folks who are listening, please know, you know, we've got some time with Michael and um, and we're going to dive in on, uh, on all of these pieces. But, Michael, if I have somebody listening right now who um, maybe was just diagnosed with colorectal cancer, someone in their family uh, was diagnosed with uh, colorectal cancer. Before we go to our break here um, in a couple of minutes, can you just outline the the services that you provide to patients and and families and maybe uh, let our listeners know uh, how they can find you? Sure, absolutely. Well, to find us, it's chrisforlife.org. So Chris, the number four, life.org. And I would say some of the most important services that we offer are 
when you're newly diagnosed, we have something called a wellness guide. So it gives you information about all the different treatments, different treatment options, um, different insurance questions that you may have, all those sorts of things. And it's available on our website, and you can also request one, um, you know, actual physical copy. Um, and then in addition to that, we've created a DVD specifically about colorectal cancer. So it's, it's doctors, nurses, um, social worker, patients, and survivors talking about all the different parts of your diagnosis and, and you know, post-surgery, post-chemo, all the different things, you know, psychosocial things that, that might come up. Um, and then in addition to that, we have monthly webinars that, that we do um, that educate uh, individuals on any host of, of issues. For example, in March, we do something about liver-directed therapies. Sometimes stage four patients have what we call metastases or the, the cancer has spread to their liver. So we do one of those educational um, things every single month. Um, and then, Michael, just before we um, uh, go to our break here, uh, we've got about a half a minute, just um, tell folks what the website is. Is there an 800 number? You know, what's the best way for folks to access some of these great resources that you've described? Yeah, absolutely. So the website, again, is www.christforlife.org. And, and we do have um, a, a, uh, a call-in number, which is, and I'm trying to find it, Kim. I, 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 yeah, why don't had you? I had it in front of me. I know, what, no worries. Why it. don't you, yeah, put your hands on and we'll make sure we have some time throughout the show to share that number with folks if they want. We know some folks still love to just pick up the phone and, uh, uh, and connect with somebody. But, again, yeah, the website absolutely. is www.chris for life.org and it's C-H-R-I-S and then the number four and life L-I-F-E. We're going to take a, a, a quick break here. This is frankly speaking about cancer. It is uh, March. It is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. We are talking to uh, Michael Sapienza who is the uh, founder and president of Chris for Life which is named uh, in memory and in honor of his mother uh, who passed away in 2009 uh, from colorectal cancer. Don't go away. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Amgen Oncology and Bristol-Myers Squibb. March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we're dedicating today's show to discussing a cancer that is the third most commonly diagnosed among men and women combined, colorectal cancer. I'm here with Michael Sapienza. He's the founder and president of Chris for Life, an organization focused on fighting colorectal cancer. Um, Michael, I appreciate in our earlier conversation the overview um, of the organization, and, and you know I think it's so important for folks listening to, to find these wonderful resources that are dedicated to supporting people with colorectal cancer um, and their families. I want to start uh, this segment off by uh, talking more about colorectal cancer itself so that our listeners um, have a good idea of, of a sort of an understanding of this diagnosis of, of uh, colorectal cancer. As you said, colon and rectal cancer. Um, can you just give us some top line, tell us a little bit more about the disease? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, like you said, uh, colorectal cancer is actually the second leading cause of cancer-related deaths for both men and women, unfortunately, because it is the third third for, you know, separately, but for men and women, it's the second leading cause of of cancer-related deaths. And, Mm. and, you know, unfortunately, you know, similar to like pancreatic cancer or some other cancers where there aren't very many symptoms, it's it's kind of the same for for for, for colon. Um, but normally, you know, you're diagnosed and you go through some some sort of surgery to remove that portion of your of your colon that has the tumor, and then you may follow follow up with chemo chemotherapy or radiation, depending on whether it's colon or rectal. We've actually seen a decrease in the incidence of colon cancer in those over 50. So we've seen about a one to two percent decrease over the last 10 years. So about a 30 percent, um, 20 to 30 percent decrease over the last 10 years for those over 50. But unfortunately, in our younger population, those under 50, we've seen about a two to three percent increase, which is, you know, rather unfortunate, unfortunate, especially between those 35 and 45. So mm. we're really, really trying to increase our awareness. And we're part of a, a coalition called the Never Too Young for Colorectal Cancer Coalition. And then it's going to be focusing on some research and, and ways that we may be able to, you know, bring awareness to, you know, primary care physicians because, you know, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard about patients and, and, and or from caregivers that say, you know, I went into my doctor when I was 30 and I had symptoms and mm. symptoms, you know, and they, they kind of turned me away. And unfortunately, when they went back, it was, it was stage four. And so what do you tell, you know, so what do you tell people, Michael, you know, in that instance, or what do you tell people who just feel like there's something wrong, but because they don't, you know, kind of meet the general criteria, we know that cancer is is statistically a disease of an aging population. So somebody, they're having some symptoms or they feel like something's not right, they go in, their doctor turns them away, then what do you do? Being your own advocate is the most important thing, and it, you know we talked about that word empowerment again, you know, earlier. But you have to be your own advocate, and you have to be educated. And I, and I think you know, unfortunately, primary care physicians are busy, and they have so many things that they're trying to help patients with. And so I think the first thing that they think is not colon cancer, which because in the majority of cases it's probably not. So right. you know, we don't we don't want to scare people just because if they have rectal bleeding or if they have cramping or if they have night sweats, it doesn't mean that they have colon cancer. But I do think that if it continues, if those, those symptoms, you know, persist, that, you know, we have to 
educate both the primary care physicians and individuals, um, you know, that this could be, it, it could potentially be something, even if it is a polyp that's causing bleeding or an ulcer or something like that. I really think, you know, that being your own advocate and telling your doctor, no, this is what I want to do. Don't send me home with Metamucil because, you know, this may be something serious. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important um, that folks do know that, and they should really trust their, you know, trust their instincts, and, and if they're having the symptoms, they do really need to push and be their own um, best advocates, because we hear the scenario you're describing across all cancers, you know, yeah. somebody was having this, having an issue, they were young, they didn't quite fit into the, you know, to the demographic or the risk group, and and, um, and unfortunately, you know, found out, you know, perhaps in m- months or even years later that it was something more serious, so I think you're right, folks need to listen to their body. They need to listen to that instinct and, and uh, you know, really push for, uh, for their own care. Um, I know, Michael, that, you know, there's so much conversation uh, and so many changes when it comes to different cancer screening guidelines. And, you know, we've talked on this show about breast cancer, about prostate cancer, about uh, cervical cancer, and many d- different changes in the, in, the, in the screening guidelines. Bring us up to speed on what the current screening guidelines are for colon cancer, if you're colorectal cancer, if you're a regular healthy person, or if there are other risk factors or family factors that people should know about. Sure, absolutely. So for the average risk individual, it's age 50. So you should start going in for your screening at age 50. Um, if you've had a family history, it's age 40. Or if your relative or 10 years prior to your first degree relative. So for example, if your mom or your grandmother or grandfather had it at age 30, you need to be going in at age 20. Wow. Um, and, and then we also recommend that African Americans go in at age 45. So those are the basic um, kind of uh, you know, uh, you know what we say um, in the the recommended age for screening. So, Michael, if you say you're at like regular risk or average risk, define that. What does that mean? So it basically means anybody, even if you have a comorbidity. So even if you even if you have diabetes or if you've had something, even if you've had another cancer, as long as you have not had colorectal cancer in your family history, then age fifty is still the recommendation. It's still um, the recommendation. Yeah, so as long as if a first-degree relative has not had colorectal cancer. Now, um, you know, granted, and we talked about the young people and there being an increase in the diagnosis for, for under 50. So, you know, I think, once again, being your own advocate and, and, and knowing what, you're, what your body is telling you. So if you do have rectal bleeding, if you do have cramping, if you have major changes in your stool or if you have weight loss, those are things that if you are under 50, you know, that you need to be paying attention to and, you know, consult your doctor and talk to them. And, you know, if it persists, I would, I would definitely, um, you know, advocate for, for a screening. For a screening, meaning a colonoscopy. Yeah, so, so this is something, Kim, that I think we should talk about. So, yeah, let's do you it. Know, um, in terms of, you know, the different types of screening, there, there are you know, numerous guidelines and numerous types of screening. And unfortunately for, for colon cancer, I think that's something that's working against us in a little bit of getting mm-hmm. more people screened. So yes. for breast cancer, it's mammogram at 40 period with a judge's, judge's hammer, you got it down. You know, for colon cancer, we have colonoscopy, endoscopy, FIT, FOBT, um, and we have virtual colonoscopy, and then now we have something called ColoGuard. Um, so we have a bunch of different tests, 
And the guidelines are a little bit confusing. And I think that's something that is unfortunately contributing to people not being screened. And, you know, I understand why we're doing it. We want to make the colonoscopy um, a little bit more accessible. Some people are afraid of it. Some people don't want something stuck up their butt, excuse my, mm-hmm. you know, my mm-hmm. punch, but, yeah. but it's true. It, it is, I think, for some populations, a barrier to get screening. So there are other tests. One is called the FIT, it's F-I-T or F-O-B-T. Um, those are stool sample tests. And then now there's a take-home stool sample test just, just approved by the FDA called Cologuard. And then the colonoscopy is still the gold standard because if you get any of those other tests, you're still going to have to go back and have a colonoscopy to find out if there's a polyp. So the way that we prevent colon, colon cancer from happening is by screening. So say, for example, you go in and you get your colonoscopy and the scope sees a polyp. What that scope will do right then and there, it will, it will snip out that polyp, take it out, and prevent that polyp from growing into a cancer. So it's really it's, it's such a preventable, preventable disease. And so, you know, one of the things we're trying to do, Kim, is to make these guidelines more clear and, mm-hmm. you know, and make it e- more easy and more accessible. For, for the general public to have these screenings. So why is it so so you're saying that they go they can go in do the colonoscopy and remove a polyp that polyp could have potentially turned into cancer and that yeah. basically we're basically preventing or curing or um, that that with this cancer we have an incredible opportunity to to catch it early to prevent it from happening or to cure it. Yeah, absolutely. So my mom was 56 when she first went in for her first colonoscopy. It was too late. She had mm-hmm. already stage, late stage um, colon cancer, stage four colon cancer, and it had, you know, through lymph nodes and, and then to, to other places. And if she had gone in when she was 50, like recommended, um, right. you know, most, most likely she would have been cured from this disease and it probably mm-hmm. never would have happened in the first place. Mm. And because your mom died of colorectal cancer, does that automatically put you at a higher risk or require that you go and get screened? Yes. I, I've actually been screened already, Kim, and I went just because I talk about it all the time. Yes. So I did, I did have a colonoscopy. I had a colonoscopy at age 34, which is, you know, it's before the, you know, the screening guidelines. But I did it because I talk about it almost every day. Right. And I actually did have two precancerous polyps, and they were both were removed. So. I actually have to go back every three years now. And so that's a really important thing is that sometimes people will go at 50 and then, you know, they, they go right at 50 or they go right when they're supposed to go, but then they don't go in, in the correct intervals. And so it's really important that if you've done your screening, whether it's a fit test, a take-home test, or if you've done a colonoscopy or something, that you ask your doctor, when do I need to come back? Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it's very easy in this, I don't, I don't want to say, uh, you know, factory kind of setting where you have, you know, colonoscopy yeah. after colonoscopy for the doctors not to follow up and say, okay, you need to come back in three years, or you need right. to come back in five years, or you need to come back right. in ten. It's really important um, that you, you kind of then follow up with when your next screening is going to be. And you really, as the consumer, need to take responsibility for getting that information is what you're saying. Yeah, and I can, I can tell right now a little bit about those, those kind of guidelines because I think that is important. So if you go yeah. in here. So, Michael, we're, gonna, we're, we're coming up on a quick break here, and I don't want okay. to um, shortchange that, um, that conversation. So let me ask you one other quick question before we get to our break here, and then we can get into those guidelines for folks because I want that to be, you know, really crystal clear, and I want to make folks, sure folks are getting, um, uh, uh, getting this information. So I just want to ask you, so because your mother died from colorectal cancer, does that automatically put you at, at risk for colorectal cancer? 
Yes, Kim, it does. Yep. Okay. So I think that that's important for, um, you know, for people to know, because I think a lot of folks sort of ask that question. I, you know, I have someone, uh, you know, in my family, particularly like that, a parent, a first degree relative, um, uh, you know, what am I supposed to do? Does that put me at risk? Am I supposed to go now and get screened? But really, if that is the case, you really need to go and talk to your doctor and, um, you know, and talk about getting uh, screened for the disease and really understand what those screening guidelines are um, uh, for you. So I think that that's really important for folks to, uh, to know and to understand. Um, this is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and we are shedding light uh, on the issue around uh, screening, around diagnosis, uh, around treatment, and around many of the wonderful resources that are out there for people uh, with colorectal cancer and for their family members and loved ones. We're talking to Michael Sapienza, who's the founder and president of Chris for Life, uh, an organization focused on colorectal cancer. And that's Chris, the number four life. Um, uh, if you want to check out the website, chrisforlife.org, uh, take a look at that. We're just going to take a quick break here. We have a lot more to cover uh, on the show, so don't go away. We will be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. 
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by Takeda Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, from the Cancer Support Community. Today we are joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Sapienza, who is the founder and president of Chris for Life. We've been learning about the organization. We've been learning more about uh, colorectal cancer. Uh, Michael, I know before we uh, jump to uh, our last break here, we were really talking about the screening guidelines. Um, let, let's, let's, just, uh, let's just back up for a minute for folks who may just be joining the conversation. Um, your otherwise healthy person, no history of colorectal cancer in your family. When are you supposed to get screened? At age 50. At age 50. Okay. So then, um, not, uh, so I'm fine. It's clear. They find nothing. When am I supposed to get screened again? Tell us a little bit about if they don't find something, if they find a polyp, you know, what are the guidelines based on what they find through the screening? Sure, absolutely. So if they find a polyp through a colonoscopy, it's every 10 years. But if you're having a fit um, or FOBT, which is a take-home stool test, you need to be doing one of those every single year. Mm. So it's very important to know the distinction. So if you're doing an at-home test, that is, uh, you know, a fecal, a fecal test that's every year. If you're doing a colonoscopy and they find no polyps, you are good for 10 years. If they find polyps, depending on, you know, a couple different things, it's between every three and five years. So you need to be consulting your doctor and making sure to ask those questions once you have your first screening. Okay, so just make sure, folks, if you're listening, that you're really crystal clear, you're discussing the results with your doctor, and you're crystal clear on when you need to go back uh, again, because I think that that's important information. And, Michael, you know, you've been sharing with us how you lost your mother to colorectal cancer and and founded Christopher Life in her memory and her honor, and, um, you know, that that puts you at a a higher risk for, uh, you know, for colorectal cancer. So I think it's important that folks know that as well. Um, Let me just ask you a quick question. Question on the screenings, um, Michael. Uh-huh. Are, are you finding in general that insurance companies are are good about paying for these uh, screenings? Um, is, is Medicare good about paying for the screenings? You know, what do, what do we know about um, about accessibility, and is that sort of impacting screening rates? Yeah. So the um, Affordable Care Act has has actually. Um, process to now cover. I mean, so there are basically any screening colonoscopy is covered. Um, so it's a wonderful thing. Um, and obviously that means uh, Medicare is covering it and that has to be according to the guidelines. So, you know, if I go in at, at 25 or 35 or something and I say I want a colonoscopy, it's obviously not going to be covered. Um, but the problem is, is that if you go in to get a screening colonoscopy and they find a polyp, Mm-hmm. And they take out those polyps. Unfortunately, that is not covered under medic under Medicare, and so that's one of the things that we and other co- uh, colorectal cancer advocacy organizations like Colorectal Cancer and Colon Cancer Alliance are for on the hill to get that to be covered. Because for you know somebody that is 65 years of age that's in the Medicare population, you know they it's not only a barrier to get them screened, but it's also a financial barrier as well. So mm-hmm. they go in thinking, oh, it's going to be no cost, and then they have four polyps removed. It could be you know, about three hundred dollars a polyp. That's a lot of money um, to have to have a bill at the end. So you know, in general, they are they are screenings are covered, um, but unfortunately, there's still some loopholes that we are we are trying to work around. 
Okay, great. And um, folks can learn on your website about some of those efforts and, and, and some of those advocacy opportunities if they want to fight that fight with you? Yes, absolutely. ChristopherLife.org. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, Michael, I know that, that obviously this awareness piece that we're talking about is huge, and we know that, you know, as you said earlier in the show, a lot of people are kind of embarrassed to talk about these things or bring up these, you know, concerns with the colorectal region. They don't want to talk about rectal bleeding. They don't want to talk about their colon. They don't want to talk about those things. And you guys have done some really kind of bold and creative um, things to kind of raise awareness and help people laugh a little bit and maybe overcome some of that uh, embarrassment or, or uh, anxiety. I know you had a campaign called uh, Love Your Butt. So tell us about that and tell us about other awareness efforts that you guys have going on um, to help folks get over this hump. Absolutely. You know, what's funny, Tim, is that like, I think about like my mom and how, what she would think of the Love Your Butt campaign. <laughs> when you were saying that, I was just, for the first time, I actually thought what my mom would think about this Love Your Butt campaign. She'd and? Hiding, hiding under the kitchen table, you know. That's okay. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, it, it's important for people to, to at, at the dinner table or at Thanksgiving or at Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is, family gatherings, to be talking about colon cancer. You know, I think that women now talk about their breasts and they talk about their breast health and and I think very much so because we've had a you know a lot of uh, you know awareness placed around um, you know that issue and for colon cancer I think to know that more people die from colorectal cancer in a year than from breast cancer mm-hmm. you know people would say no way that 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 can't be there you know breast cancer a lot of people are dying unfortunately more people are dying from colon cancer and yeah. so. You know, I think that one of the main things when when I started this organization that I really wanted to focus on was making this not a taboo subject Mm -hmm. and, you know, getting some smart people around the table of how can we do that? How can we get people talking about it? And so in 2013, we launched, like you said, the Love Your Butt campaign. Um, And really the goal was to just get people laughing and to, you know, kind of getting over this kind of like taboo nature of of your colon or your colonoscopy or your butt or, or, you know, getting it screened. And over the course of the last two years, we've made some significant progress in this campaign. We've moved from two cities. This year we'll be in 16 cities plus online. And what we do is, you know, you, you know, I encourage people to check out loveyourbutt.org. It, it, it actually launches, um, or launched on March 1st. So, we we film a video um, that goes uh, kind of viral all over the country and on on TV and et cetera has been featured on CNN and NPR and really what it does is it encourages people to get screened to talk about their butt and then they can go to this website and they get information about screening guidelines et cetera it's all over the the subway and the metro you know depending on where you live in New York and DC last year it was in Times Square all over and this year we're actually going to be doing a social media campaign and i don't want to Spoil it, so I just encourage everybody to go to loveyourbutt.org and, and, and check it out. But uh, you know, really, what the main goal is is to get more people screened. Great, fantastic. Um, I know you mentioned uh, Michael earlier in the show something called Colon Town. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, a support community. It's called Colon Town, and I know Kim, you guys have been incredibly supportive of this community through your centers all across the United States um, and getting the word out about Colon Town. Um, yep. Erica Erica Brown, who is a 12 year colon cancer survivor, 
when she first started, she didn't have any place to really go for support. And I think she, you know, thought, okay, I want to create something online um, that could potentially bring in people. And so we actually have a map of of the colon. It's called colon. It, you can actually see it at colontown.org. Um, and it's we have a community center where patients, survivors, and caregivers can talk and et cetera. There's Rectalburg where patients that have rectal cancer, because there's specific issues to rectal cancer that are different from colon cancer. And then there's a patient for, uh, excuse me, a community for stage four patients, and that's called uh, Four Corners. And so it's a re- it's basically just a support community. And it's, it's um, you know, right now housed on Facebook. And we have, I think, around 5,000 people on this nationwide and just, you know, talking and supporting each other. And, you know, it's really just a, a wonderful, uh, you know, addition for anybody looking for some type of online support. Terrific, terrific resource. Um, Michael, tell us about um, what else, you know, we're in the beginning of March now. What else does uh, 2015 have in store for Chris for Life? Um, Maybe remind folks of the website if there are other ways that folks can learn more about what you're doing, join some of these efforts, um, you know, get get engaged. Just talk about what, what 2015 holds for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we haven't really talked about the research, uh, you know, kind yeah. of, you know, as much. And maybe, maybe we can just, just talk about that a little bit. Um, do it. Let's do it. That sounds great. Yep. So, so when my mom was was diagnosed uh, in 2006, um, there had just been a couple new drugs approved for for colon cancer. But really, prior to 2006, from 1975 to 2006, there was only one drug cocktail. That's called a cocktail because it involves a couple different chemotherapies, but it's called 5FU, and that was it. There was no, virtually no, little to no progress. And, you know, then in 2006, there was about two drugs that came out. And then about a year and a half ago, there was two other drugs. And so we're making some small progress in terms of turning, um, you know, colorectal cancer, at least stage four colon cancer, into, you know, chronic illness. But we still have, a, you know, a ton of, uh, you know, ground to cover. Um, so only about 10% of stage four patients are living five years or longer. And so, you know, I encourage people to, to invest in research and to fund research because, you know, like I mentioned, about 40% of all of those diagnosed in one year will be stage four. And so we really need to, to be doing that. And one of the things that, Kim, that we're doing is we're creating this uh, clinical trial database. So I don't know how much you want me to get into this. I don't want to get into, you know, too much technical detail, but uh, you know, it's really a place for patients yeah. to go to learn about new treatments, um, new treatments, basically new treatments for colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And I, we've got just a, a minute or so here until uh, until our next break, Michael. But I do think it's important for for uh, folks to know that there are many clinical trials out there, and that that uh, uh, you know if they should be diagnosed with colorectal cancer, really, you know, one of the questions they should be asking their doctor is, might there be a clinical trial? Uh, that's out there and that's right for me. And I know one of the misconceptions, um, Michael, that people hold about clinical trials is they think there's always a placebo in a, in a clinical trial. And in fact, you know, in the vast, vast majority of, of, of cancer treatment trials, that is not the case, that, that you're likely going to be getting uh, either the standard of care or the standard of care plus, uh, you know, whatever the new agent is that's being um, investigated. And so I do think it's important that we do raise awareness about clinical trials. And I, I love hearing that you guys are creating a database that's specifically dedicated to colorectal cancer um, uh, clinical trials. When's that going to launch, Michael? 
Uh, it'll launch in May of this year, and we're actually um, doing this with a company called Smart Patients, just, just right. so you know, Kim, and, and we'll be creating yeah. a video, a vi- educational video at the beginning of of this uh, clinical fraud database to do exactly what right. you just said, you know, make yep. sure patients yep. and caregivers are, you know, understand how, how this works. Great. I, it's excellent, Michael, and we want to support you in in, uh, in getting uh, the word out because really it's through those trials that we're going to get the next uh, new treatment, the next innovation, and through those trials that we're going to get to, to, to better cures. Um, yep. And so we want to keep track of uh, that initiative with you and help to promote that uh, when it becomes available. We're going we're gonna to take just a quick break here. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Um, uh, we're talking about Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month with Michael Sapienza from Christopher Life. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code Magnolia B or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Welcome Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We've been having a great discussion today with Michael Sapienza, founder and president of Chris for Life. We're talking about colorectal cancer, uh, second leading cause of, uh, of, of death of all cancers. Uh, does, uh, does the disease, Michael, affect uh, men and women equally or close to equally? Yes. Unfortunately, it's you know one of the big taboos, Kim, is that it's an old white man's disease. Unfortunately, it's it's pretty much equal between men and women. Right, and then you talked about a higher risk in the African American community. Yes, yeah, that's really about three times as likely to to get colorectal cancer than some of their uh, you know Caucasian counterparts. And what do we know about the the reason for that? Unfortunately, we don't. There's not mm-hmm. there been too many epidemiology studies about that. I know we actually funded a study uh, last year to, to to find this out, but the results haven't haven't been made public yet. So we're you know we're hoping to know that. You know, obviously we can all guess that you know maybe uh, you know access access to certain types of foods or you know it's it's a guess at this point really. 
Yeah. Um, Michael, let's just take another minute to talk about um, the research and the progress that we're making. Um, we ended the last segment talking about, um, you know, the, the uh, much wider array of treatment um, choices and options that are available to patients today than when your mom um, was diagnosed. Are we seeing, you know, uh, are, are these treatments more effective? Are we seeing fewer side effects with these treatments? Are we, you know, what are the benefits that we're seeing? Yeah, some some of the most exciting things that I'm seeing, and 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 I, I was just up in Mount Sinai in New York City, and and learning about, you know, whereas 20 years ago or even 10 years ago when my mom was diagnosed, you know, Kim, you've probably heard Dr. Marshall say this. We had the carpet bomb carpet bomber approach. So yeah. we basically gave everybody the same thing. So we took a, a B-52 bomber and we just shot it at everything possible. And what's yeah. really exciting to me is we've kind of been talking about personalized or precision medicine, so really individualizing a person's treatment. We've been talking about it for like five years, I think, yeah. now. But it seems like now we're actually kind of starting to do it, <laughs> which yeah. is really, really exciting. So I was up in uh, Mount Sinai learning about the genetic stuff that they're doing and, and really kind of um, honing in on, you know, what is your, what are the mutations in your DNA? What, what, what's different about your protein? And then, and then how can we fight those specific mutations or differences with the drugs that may already be available to us, but they may not be available or FDA approved for colon cancer. So it may be approved for melanoma or may be approved for even outside of cancer. And that's what's really exciting to me. And I think, you know, patients especially need to be, you know, more and more educated and understand, you know, what kind of mutations do they have? Um, mm-hmm. It's not going to be like when my mom was diagnosed where it's just one yeah. thing all for colon cancer. So I think for me, you know, that's the thing that's really exciting Um you know, is this personalized medicine and moving towards um, treating the patient, not just the disease. Uh, and, yeah, so I, I would say that's probably, the, you know, the most exciting, Some exciting stuff. And what about, yeah. and, and Michael, is there a gene or is there a, a genetic screening or, or, you know, do we know about any, any kind of genetic profile or genetic mutation related to colon cancer? Yeah, there, there are, but unfortunately, some of those are still, you know, in, in clinical trials, like to say, okay, you can have a blood test. And that will determine if you have, you know, you're predisposed to potentially having colon cancer. And unfortunately, nothing is really approved yet, per se. There is a couple um, hereditary colorectal cancers. One is called the Lynch syndrome. Another is FAP. Um, and those, you know, are, you know, you, you are unfortunately are, you know, predisposed to that genetically. And, you know, mm-hmm. most people would know by their, you know, 20s or 30s if they have this disease and then their, their kids would need to get screened. Um, but we do have information on our site about those as well. And how would people even know to get tested for those? Unfortunately, they don't unless a yeah. family member has had it. That's, the, you know, that's the problem. Unfortunately, they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a there's not a high enough percentage of the overall colon cancer population that have these types of hereditary colon cancers to require that you know the entire United States population or the entire world population right. be screened for that. So, and if you if you had a first degree relative who had colorectal cancer, would they test you for those genes? Um, it would depend. It would depend. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's, there's a lot of different things. My recommendation, just just not get into too much detail, would be yeah. to go to the ChristopherLife.org site, and we mm-hmm. have something on there about family history right. um, through a company called Myriad that helps people would understand that. Yeah. 
Great. Excellent advice. Um, Michael, we're, we're um, uh, unfortunately getting close uh, to the end of our show. This has been such a great um, uh, a great conversation. I think that uh, I certainly know I've learned a great deal, and I'm sure our listeners have um, as well. But as we move to the end of the show, Michael, can you just talk a little bit about um, uh, some tips or advice for someone who's just been diagnosed with colorectal cancer? Um, uh, you've been diagnosed. Maybe someone in your family um, has been diagnosed. Just some you know, maybe a couple quick tips that uh, that folks can note down if they're listening today. Yeah, I, I think there's there's two things that I would say about that. Uh, you know, and this is just from my personal experience. I think everybody's different, and I'm sure Kim, you you feel the same way. But for me, it's that you know, when when my mom was going through this, um, and now seeing obviously thousands of people go through it, you know, I tell people, I said, you know, if you're having a good day, that's wonderful. Um, if you're having a bad day. It's okay too, and it's okay to be sad. And I think to let yourself, you know, understand that, you know, there is there is tomorrow. And I think sometimes patients forget to live because they're so worried about that. Um, and and I know that for my mom, you know, she celebrated in the fact that she could come down to Miami Beach and hear me perform, or that she could travel to New York City and you know see mm-hmm. my brother, or go to North Carolina and bake cookies for Christmas. And 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 yes. Um, you know, you could still have maybe a glass of wine if, if that's what, you know, you enjoy. I yes. think those things, those things are really, really important. Um, and then I think the last thing I would say is that, uh, you know, I think in, a, in our, in our culture, you know, today, it's, it's hard because we have so many people, as you know, Kim, in this country that are, that are diagnosed with cancer in general. Yeah. And I, I feel like people think it's important and it's a worthy cause, but I think at some point we all have to take ownership of this and really mm-hmm. make it, you know, bring it to the forefront. So, mm-hmm. you know, those, those would be the things that I would say. Yeah, I think all good, uh, uh, all good input and advice. Um, again, I want to uh, let folks know if you're listening today um, to check out the website, Chris for Life. It's uh, C-H-R-I-S and then the number four and then the word life.org to learn about uh, all of the great um, resources that we've discussed today, all of the great uh, um, information that we've reviewed. You can learn about uh, the organization's um, investment in research. You can learn about their support um, uh, resources for patients and families and learn about uh, their effort to raise um, awareness of colorectal cancer and and, uh, make sure that uh, folks are screened um, appropriately and are getting the information and the resources and the support um, uh, that they need. It's been a pleasure, Michael, um, having you uh, on the show today and, and uh, sharing your uh, insight and, and sharing this great um, information. Uh, if you're listening today and you have an idea for an episode of our show, Frankly Speaking, about cancer, we invite you to um, share with us any topics you'd like to hear more about. Some of you have sent us some great uh, uh, ideas, and we've gone out to find some terrific guests on a host of topics. Um, you can email us at news at cancersupportcommunity.org or you can also reach out uh, through our Facebook page, through social media, and let us know of ideas and, and suggested guests that you have for the show. I just want to remind folks that the cancer support uh, community provides a multitude of uh, in-person, online, and over-the-phone support services. Um, 
for people with colorectal cancer and with all cancers at any stage of disease and also for the family members and loved ones of uh, people with cancer. We have 50 beautiful centers around the country where we provide support groups, education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. So uh, visit our website at cancersupportcommunity.org to find a location near you. Um, you can also call our toll-free helpline, which is staffed by a great team of, uh, of trained counselors. The phone number for the helpline is 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. Again, if you're grabbing a pen, eight 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 seven nine three nine three five five. You can call that uh, toll free line and talk to one of our uh, uh, licensed counselors Monday through Friday, nine a.m. to nine p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>